Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to Oh My Pod. I hope we all had a lovely Thanksgiving and that you don't really give a shit about what you ate because this year I don't. I'm not going to talk shit to myself all week, drink celery juice, kill myself at the gym, go in overdrive and do two-a-days. In fact, all of that sounds like cortisol rising activities and you're probably wondering what on earth am I talking about? What is cortisol? Well, you're in for a treat because today's episode, we cover not only cortisol, which is the stress hormone, but we focus on other hormones that might be contributing to weight loss, weight gain, sleep cycles, and overall health. Today's guest is Ingrid Delamar Kenny, and she's coming all the way from Monaco. By I mean coming, she's actually just on our Skype session. So you know she has her shit together. She's French, and I think that French people seem to live a very hedonistic lifestyle with banging bodies. So she's a perfect guest to speak on this topic. Now, keep in mind, what works for her might not work for everyone. And as we all have so many differences with body types, hormone levels, genetics, and more, I want you to just take what you want from this podcast and leave what doesn't work for you. But it's important for me to get different point of views. And this one was especially interesting as it focuses on the differences between Americans and the European way of life, specifically in France. So this is a great episode to listen to after Thanksgiving and as we head into the holidays where Americans historically celebrate with food which, spoiler alert, is what Ingrid says we should be doing. So with that, let's get into today's episode. So this is a perfectly timed podcast because I just went to Chipotle and I inhaled my bowl at my desk and I don't think Ingrid would be happy with how fast I ate it, how I sat at my desk, how I barely chewed my food. And so it is perfect timing to have her on the podcast because she is an expert on so many different things, including how we eat, how we need to change, how we view food, um, dieting, exercise, et cetera. So Ingrid is gracing us all the way from Monaco. She's chic as hell, and she's someone I honestly always aspire to be to when it comes to the hedonistic lifestyle. So Ingrid, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, and thank you for having me and for that fantastic intro. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm so excited to have you on. Can you tell us a little bit about your background like, what do you do? How did you find out about it? And how did you decide to make this your life's work? Sure. So I am the CEO and founder of a company in Monaco um, that is now going viral, thankfully, uh, called The Method. And originally what The Method was, it was a power Pilates um, system. And it's changed into more of a lifestyle and a movement. And it's kind of moved away a little bit from being just power Pilates. Um, and the way that I came to practice this was for my own practice 20 years ago. I was looking for something that would be similar to the workout I did as a ballet dancer, the results of being a ballet dancer. And having, having had to quit that dream and the potential career I had ballet dancing, Pilates back then, that's 20 years back, you're way too, too young to remember, but it wasn't very, it wasn't very well known back then. No one knew what Pilates was, no one knew what the word was. People were talking about yoga and they were talking about Ashtanga and Bikram, but they weren't talking about Pilates. And that's when I discovered it. And over the course of the last 20 years through three pregnancies, um, different times in my life, uh, different fitness and business needs, meaning that I had a very, very um, busy career in New York City in the fashion industry. And then moving to Monaco, I created this method 
on my own based on the foundations of the Pilates that goes back a hundred years to Joseph Pilates Foundation. And I opened this company in Monaco and very quickly I realized that the fitness aspect um, of what I was trying to do, the way I was trying to change bodies and minds and the whole mind to body connection was not enough. I realized I needed to give people more guidance. Just the fitness part wasn't enough. So I created a whole lifestyle around it, which is very uh, rooted in the French culture that is my parents' culture, the one that I grew up with, even though I grew up in the States. And there you have it. That's how the method was born and how it came to be. And that is exactly why I wanted to have you on was to discuss the French way of eating because not even eating the lifestyle, because when you talk about it, it started to make sense because I always talk about this with my friends and family, like how on earth do Europeans eat bread? They drink all the time. I feel like they're smokers. They're, I never really see people like running around or anything. And I'm like, but then they all have amazing bodies and clear skin and energetic. And when you start talking about things on your podcast, which is part of my French, everyone go listen. She has way more insights than what we're going to cover today. But you talk about so many differences that we don't see here in the States. So what are some major ones that you see between the way French operate versus Americans? So first of all, I need to tell you that I think my perspective is so unbiased because I'm both. I'm French and I'm American and I moved to Monaco only six years ago, but I grew up to French parents a little bit, a little bit in France, but a lot in the States. And so for me, when I arrived to, to France, when I arrived to Monaco, I started noticing what I had gone used to. Like the packaging of the food is humongous in the States, for example. Um, the, the little time that we, t- we used to take to eat, because in, in, I'm a New Yorker on top of it. So not only you have living in the States, but you have living in a, in a city like New York, which is fast-paced, you take time for nothing. And then I arrived to Mon- in Monaco, which on top of it is the south of France, which is the polar opposite of everything New York and living in the States was because the weather is nice. People take time to eat here. The packaging is, the packaging is cute and small. The plates that you eat in are small. And people take time to enjoy their surroundings. Like people don't live in the south of France. It's, it's not just out of, you know, obligation. People are here. A lot of people who are here are expats or either they're expats from other countries or they've migrated from other cities for the better lifestyle. Um, And this is really here, this region is really representing what the old school French mentality was and is today, which is enjoying yourself, enjoying your time eating. Eating is about the social occupation of sitting with other people having some wine enjoying a meal not just sitting down for the mechanical purpose of eating that's a huge difference and that is what I noticed when I got here like oh my gosh I had forgotten it was like that it was like that in my parents house Mm -hmm. you know but I had forgotten because I became so American and so it was for me I had to readjust to it and that's the huge difference quantities and time that was what I was going to ask, like, 
are you guys having three hour dinners, two hour lunches? Like walk us through what a day in the French lifestyle looks like. Okay. So I'm going to tell you first that most people that are here, the life is expensive in the South of France. It's not cheap. So people that are here are not people that are just not working. People still have a whole day of a whole day's work. Um, school is longer here than it, than it is in the States because kids go to school from 8 a.m. in the morning and then they stop at noon, then they start again 2 p.m. and come out at 5 p.m. Um, but all this to tell you that they still find a way to have a two-hour lunch break during the day. And that's the norm. It is not a luxury. I say that all the time when I'm on podcasts because I don't think in the States I even realized back then that it goes from the garbage man to the social worker, to the nurse, to the doctor, to the CEO, to the billionaire. Everybody gets that, those two hours, everybody. It has nothing to do with your, you know, social standing, nothing to do with anything. It is just a norm here. Everything is closed except for restaurants and hair salons between 12 and two. So lunch is two hours. and you won't spend two hours literally eating. You will work your way to lunch, which means you'll first go find your spot for lunch. People go out of their way to go to lunch. So they leave their office. You can't stay in your office because offices are closed. Even if you're in one of those big high risers, your office is going to be closed. You're going to have to leave it. And so you go through the process of walking to lunch. Um, people that will go home will stop to, at the bakery and get their baguette before they go home. Some people will even go to the supermarket before they go to lunch so they can put together their salad and then some of their meal if it's not ready yet. So already you're taking like about a half hour to set yourself up for lunch, wherever you're going to be, wherever you're going to sit. And most of the time you're going to socialize. That's a big thing here. Nobody really truly has lunch alone. You always find a lunch partner, whether it's a co-worker, um, a friend, a sister, a brother, you know, a husband, you have a lunch partner. It's very rare that someone here will tell you, I went to lunch by myself or I had lunch at my desk. It's like nearly impossible. So you've already got two hours in your day that you're having lunch and you spend a long time at the table. Here, it's not about fast food. If the food takes a long time to be served, chances are it means it wasn't fresh and you'll send it back to the kitchen because it came too fast. So could you imagine in the States, everything has to be quick, 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 fast, fast, fast. Mm -hmm. Here, it's an indication that your food's not fresh and you don't want it. Wow. And dinner time is the same. Dinner time is family time. It's way more than just sitting and inhaling, like you said, your dinner. It's about really taking the time to speak to your family, take a few bites, put your fork and knife down. Like literally here, if my kids don't make eye contact with me during dinner, they will be punished. Like you have to look up, talk to your parents, talk to whoever's at the table, talk about your day, take time to have a sip of your water, a sip of your wine. You know, um, we don't have a one course meal. Salad is not a meal here. It's either an appetizer, if it's a small meal, it will be your appetizer. And if it's a big meal, like usually dinner, it actually doesn't come as an appetizer. It comes after as a digestion 
like a digestive, wow, like a digestion um, thing. So imagine how much longer that dinner is and you take a lot of time and that is fantastic for your hormones oh, and is, your digestion. Yes, yeah, that is such a different way of eating. Like you just said with people not even eating alone, uh, that happens all the time here. I, I would say I go to lunch more alone than I do with other people. And it's to your point, how quick can I get the food? Can I get back to the office? Should I just eat it at my desk while I'm already sitting down? And that's pretty normal here in the States. And that's probably why you see that we have more of an obesity problem. And you just brought that up around hormones. And I want to get into that because I would say in the last few years, it started to really make sense as I've tried to take better care of my health and my lifestyle and how I'm living. I want to know what does my body do? How does it operate? How does it function? And I keep hearing about hormones and I was like, wait, this makes so much sense. If they're not operating the way they're supposed to, your body's not going to do what it's supposed to. So I really want to get into them specifically. I want to go through three that you've talked about, um, cortisol, ghrelin, and leptin. So let's start with cortisol because I feel like that is a big buzzword right now. And people are like, what does it actually do? How does it affect you? So walk us through that because you have really good insight on that specific hormone. First of all, I'm very proud of you. You've done your homework because most people will hear about cortisol. They now have heard a lot about it. We certainly made a lot of noise about it on social media, but then people don't know about leptin and they don't know about ghrelin. And I find that when you gain that awareness, because I'm not a doctor and I did not study hormones um, you know, in school, the reason why I started to look into it and do so much research about it and kind of connect the dots is because I really did just like you. How do these French people sit at the table for so long? It seems like they're always eating, um, but they're really not. Mm -hmm. They're talking a lot more than they, than they eat. Actually, I, I find that they, they blabber so much. And at first it used to annoy me, but that's how I connected the dots. I said, it, I, I said to myself, it has to have something to do with the functions in the body. And I did so much research because I went to law school. That's what I'm good at. Um, graduated law school. And as you probably know, to be a lawyer, you have to be extremely good at researching. And that's exactly what I did when I came across cortisol. And cortisol is really the main, it's like the nervous center, if you will, you know, it's kind of like the pit of that fruit that is hormone. Everything goes back to cortisol. Now, cortisol is a stress hormone. And I can't help but always tell people, it's almost like hormones for dummies. This is how I had to explain it to myself so I could comprehend it without rising my cortisol. The cortisol is your stress hormone. So now when people think about stress, they will think about anxiety, sadness, nervousness, um, fights, um, you know, things like that, arguments. And yes, cortisol is affected by all these negative behaviors, but cortisol is very much affected by a stressed out digestive system, um, a stressful environment, like a noisy environment, and the big one, which a lot of people don't realize because they are so programmed to go to gyms that have a lot of noise, where you do a lot of cardio, cardio and you, you know, you're either pounding on the ground or lifting heavy weights is workouts. 
your workout regimen, whatever you pick, can be the reason your cortisol goes high. Now, cortisol being that stress hormone, which doesn't necessarily have to do, like I said, with anxiety, stress, but it's also part of it. When it's triggered by things like exercise, let's say cardio, it's a big one because what happens there is that that goes and triggers your insulin resistance to insulin. So if you know anything about insulin, like you've probably heard about it for people that suffer from diabetes, it's kind of like the way you process sugar and you store, you know, you store fat for fuel. What happens is when your cortisol level rises from, let's say you go and do a spinning class, a lot of people are very much into spinning. And if you look at them, sometimes you go, but how? They, for an hour and a half, they're doing cardio. Cardio is known to burn fat, supposedly. And these people have uh, kind of like big midsections and you don't understand how that could be. Well, that's insulin res resistance. Insulin resistance comes from cortisol rising, shooting up. And what happens is it kind of blocks the insulin for going into the storage, the reserves where it's supposed to go, where you would usually burn it for fuel. So it kind of creates a bar in front of your midsection, like right on top of your midsection, which prevents the insulin to go where it would go, where you would usually burn it because your cortisol level rose so high. So that's what happens with the cortisol level and the insulin resistance. So usually, if you have someone that eats salad every day, tells you, I eat super healthy, I jog for an hour and a half, or I do crazy intervals, and I do heavy weights, or I go spinning, and I don't understand, but my midsection is still not defined, it still feels bloated, it feels fatty around it, like pudgy, chances are this person is suffering from what you call insulin resistance, and that comes from cortisol rising to unhealthy levels. And so the ghrelin hormone, which is your hunger hormone, is one hormone that is triggered by high cortisol levels. Whenever your cortisol level rises, so let's say you go and do um, a boot camp class, you go to Barry's boot camp. Now that works for certain people. Their hormones don't respond the same way. We are talking to the women, which is a big majority of women that end up gravitating towards me because they've tried it all. And I'm kind of like the last link on that chain. They've tried it all. They went to boot camps, they went to spinning classes, they went to all of these very, very uh, powerful and intense workouts and they're not liking their results. They feel bulky, they feel pudgy, they feel heavy around their midsection, they feel like they can't burn fat, they plateau in their diets. Those people are people that when they go to Barry's boot camp, let's say, or they go to um, any type of cross crossfit or cross training classes, when they finish, they are famished. And what they're famished for is car carb rich food. So part of it is mental. You feel entitled because you feel like you worked your body. And part of it is hormonal. And that's where the ghrelin hormone, I call it the gremlin because it really acts like a gremlin. It kind of creeps up on you. It responds to what you've done to your cortisol level and it demands heavy and carb-rich food. Mm. So that's the ghrelin hormone. 
Is that all making sense so far? Yes. What you're saying makes sense, especially for me, because I was this person that I had ClassPass, which is an app where you can just try a bunch of different classes around the city. And I did that for eight months and I was doing like heavy duty, intense workout classes, spinning. I was going three to four times a week, hot yoga. I was mixing it up because I like to mix things up like that. I don't like to stay in the same routine, but I was doing that for nine months. And you would think for how often I was working out that I would be ripped and I still was like the same and it was my midsection. And so now I actually go to a personal trainer and we just did this whole assessment and he was like, yeah, it's, you need to like lower your cortisol. We need to figure out how to make sure that this doesn't happen because that's probably what's happening is even when I do eat healthy for even a few weeks and work out, it's barely doing anything. And so when you're talking about how could people be working out this much and not see results, that's me. So that this is all making so much sense. And now it's starting to click of how could I do nine months of classes and see barely any results? That's probably my hormone. That's how, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's and it's those hormones, because when you speak about hormones, very often people think about your progesterone and your estrogen, and it does come into play. It all is correlated. But when we're talking about, you know, this resistance, this resistance to, to fat and fat storing when you shouldn't be, because you've technically are doing all the right things, then this is where you have to wonder if your cortisol, leptin, and ghrelin are not all acting up. And what are you doing wrong? And what should you be doing right? And it's kind of all going against what we are programmed to believe, especially in the United States. Unfortunately, this mentality is starting to cross over in France a little bit also. You know, because everything that is going on in the States is, is um, of course, something that people in Europe are attracted to. So some women are very misled now, nowadays here also. And they're also like, yeah, how did the old fashioned French people do it? And those are the ones I based kind of my tips on because I feel like they had it figured out. Like look at all of our old time, you know, stars in France. They didn't do very much. They, I mean, they danced and they, they did things like that, but they didn't do any heavy cardio or anything like that. You never saw Brigitte Bardot running around Saint-Tropez, you know, with a sports bra and shorts on. Look, you're laughing. You think it's yeah. funny, no, it's actually but it's true. You know, you just imagine it, but it's, it's true. You, you never saw those stars. You never saw, you know, all these old time stars doing that. And it's like, if you think about it, their lifestyle, their calm lifestyle had to, a lot to do with it. And a mindset has a lot to do with it. So cortisol spikes when we're stressed, which may, basically you're saying, hold on to the fat. And then ghrelin will rise and say, I need something to help me out. Let's go after the bread and the carbs and all these things just to get back to exactly. normal. Exactly. Okay. So exactly. And then where does exactly. leptin come in? So leptin is your satiation hormone. That's the hormone that you want to know about. Leptin is the hormone that if you play your cards right with your cortisol levels and thus with your ghrelin hormone, if you play those cards right, and it's way simpler than we think, it's actually way simpler than dieting because that's stressful. Leptin comes in and sends neurological signal to your brain saying i'm not hungry or i just want a piece of chicken and vegetables i don't want pasta right now and that's where leptin can very easily be triggered the right way 
or it can be totally messed with if you're doing all of the other things we were talking about that rise your cortisol. So if you know how to generate the right signals from the leptin hormone, you have a win-win situation because it kind of keeps on going like a boomerang. Let's say your cortisol level goes high and then so your ghrelin hormone starts demanding carb-rich food and it's creating insulin resistance, which makes you store fat in your midsection because it's not going in the reserves where you would burn it for fuel. And so your leptin hormone is giving all the wrong signals to your body and you never get the satiation. Because if you think about it, when you go and you satisfy a craving for carb-rich foods, or for sweets, two hours later, your leptin hormone is telling you you're hungry again. How could that be? How is it that our hormone does not look at the carb intake, which is higher than healthier food, like let's say string beans and chicken? How come it's not looking at the quantity? Because when you're eating a plate of pasta, technically the leptin hormone should be way more satisfied with the you know the weight of the food the quantity of the food and the caloric intake of this food yet it's responding wrongly to all of those things that are supposed to make you feel satiated and telling you 2 hours later oh well now i would like something sweet think about it so it's kind of like a boomerang thing because then that stresses your cortisol level even more because you're hungry and then you're worried about whether you should be eating what you want to eat and all this stress about dieting and not eating the right food and oh my god i'm going to cheat on my diet goes back to your cortisol and there you go your cortisol is rising all over again before you even ate any food that makes sense so it's kind of like this boomerang effect back and forth and it's all about kind of like settling down and say hey why don't we do like the french and just not give a crap about any of this and relax the hell down. Yeah, that that brings me to my point of thinking about stress. When someone asked me if I'm stressed and when we were trying to figure out this whole cortisol thing, I was like, I don't really consider myself stressed. I'm not really stressed at work. I don't really have a stressful home life. Nothing's going on with my family. Like, how could I possibly be stressed? And then there's a ton of little things that you brought up in your podcast, like the whole, you know, 6 a.m. morning class where someone's screaming like, let's go group three, do, 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 6 a.m. Yeah, exactly. Like, like it's freaking uh, boot camp. Yeah, and that, and then like even a uh, juice place yelling out your name and, you know, that's how they greet everyone. Good morning, Ingrid, good morning, Chelsea. And that's how you start your day. So if you are like me and you're like, well, I don't think I'm that stressed out. What are factors that uh, cause cortisol to spike like outside of the two that I just mentioned? So outside of the two you've just mentioned, digestion is a big one. For example, let's say you see crudités on the table. So crudités, it sounds French, it's like it's it's healthy, you know, it's raw veggies. But if you eat cruciferous vegetables raw, it's very, very hard to digest. I don't know if you've ever tried digesting raw vegetables. I have not come across one person that's told me, you know what, I digest them perfectly. Nobody does. They make you bloated. They make you gassy. This bloat, this gas that you feel, and the fact that you can't just chew a carrot for a second and then swallow it. You have to chew it a really long time before you can swallow it when it's 
you know, when it's uh, raw. Same with a broccoli. Broccoli is not easy to chew and swallow. Just the fact that it's scratching your throat as you put it through your esophagus. All of that is actually stress on your digestive system. And a stressed digestive system will rise your cortisol level. A lot of people don't even realize that. So many times I will tell people what it seems to me when you go to a dietitian and a nutri or a nutritionist and they registered and you know they they work with you know like they're in the medical field and all of that stuff, but they tell you to have three meals a day and two snacks. They're asking your digestive system to work over time. You don't even have time to digest your snack, your your breakfast that you're already having a snack. And then after the snack, you have lunch. And then after lunch, you're going to have another snack around 4 p.m. And then at dinner, you're going to have another, another meal. And so your digestive system is literally only relaxing for the eight hours or so of sleep that you get. That's a digestive system that's very stressed. And that can rise your cortisol level. So even if your family life is wonderful, you have a great job, let's say you go to a coffee shop that doesn't even scream out your name, it could be that the fact that you're abiding by a dietitian rules of not going hungry, but cutting your calories, for example, and cutting your carbs and eating enough protein, that could be the very reason your cortisol level is high because your digestive system sometimes needs rest. This is why back in the days, French people very often for breakfast had soup. Mm. A lot of people thought they had soup because they were trying to save money on, you know, food. So they would take their leftovers from the night before and make soup with it the next day, which, you know, comes out to a broth. But no, the reason why French people did that is because they're so big on dinner. They have, you know, a cheese plate, they have salad, they have all that stuff. Well, the next day they want to rest their digestive so they would have a soup, a broth. So the digestive system, a big one. You want to rest your digestive system. You want to feed it some prebiotics. You want to feed it some probiotics from natural sources, not from manufactured stuff if you can, or from the most natural stuff you can possibly find. And attend to the digestive. So at least that's one thing down, one thing that will not affect your cortisol. And that's just one. There's so many other factors and aspects of cortisol rising. So that sounds like when you're talking about giving your digestion a break, like the new trend that is intermittent fasting. Is that essentially what you believe in or is this something, is this a different idea? It's not just that, but okay. Intermittent fasting is something I believe in as an athlete. It's not a new trend. As I know it's spoken more about today, but if you think about it, what's a trend in this whole thing, if we want to call it a trend at all, is that it was given a name. It was given the name of intermittent fasting. But athletes and very, very healthy people, even in the medical field, it was often uh, people that had problems with ulcers and people that had problems with panc the pancreas and you know this whole part of the body they were they were often prescribed to do intermittent fasting without even knowing what it's called which is a digestive rest so i believe in that as an athlete because i've done it my whole life it's very well known for people that perform on a high you know fitness um, level to do it on an empty stomach. 
So in my case, often I have to work with clients in the morning. For example, I work with athletes from as early as 7 a.m. And there's absolutely no way that I would do so with breakfast in my stomach. Simply because it alters your focus, it alters your performance, it gives you fatigue. So as it is already, I've been intermittent fasting until noon or one when it was time for lunch, when I would pretty much finish working out working with my body and I noticed that when I worked with professional tennis players when I when I worked with conditioned you know boxers and other kinds of professionals it they would all be doing intermittent fasting without calling it that so it's definitely not a trend and it's definitely something that has so many health benefits and for someone that's fighting with unexplained cortisol issues that are, that are not even diagnosed as cortisol issues, but when you see that your midsection is, you know, acting up, then you know for sure that this is where the issue is. And so you want to at least knock one thing down, which would be the digestion. So maybe do intermittent fasting like three times, a, three times a week, for example. That's one aspect. But also, you want to mind what you're digesting, like quantities, things like that. That, that also can rest your digestive when you say, you know what, today I'm going to have only three meals. I'm not going to have a snack. I'm not going to have a protein shake because that's very stressful also to your digestive system. That's giving your system a lot of excess protein if you're not a vegetarian and you're having protein powder. So you're supplementing protein into your you know, dietary like diet in your, in your day. But why are you supplementing protein if you're already eating chicken, meat, fish, you know, eggs, cheese, excess protein in your digestive system rises your cortisol levels as well and will make you gain weight. That's why very often I've had clients come to me and say, I don't understand. I'm eating super healthy. I'm having grilled fish. I'm having veggies. I'm having soup. I'm not eating a lot of sweets. I'm doing the method. I'm also going to do a boot camp once a week. And I'm like, and what else do you do? Why is your midsection not responding? And she goes, oh, you know, I have a protein shake because my trainer before you told me that it was good to build muscle. And that's crap. That's a load of crap. Because if you put your body in excess protein uh, intake, your cortisol level will go up because you're stressing out your digestive system, processing more protein than it needs. So that's another trend to think about and maybe to walk away from. Mm, I didn't even think of that because... That is a huge thing. People even at work are coming in with protein shakes every single morning, going after their workout, grabbing a protein shake at work. I mean, at the grocery store, it's kind of become like a staple in everyone's American life. If you're trying to lose weight, it's like, just get a protein shake or replace it with a meal or have a smoothie. And it's hard to break that mentality because I actually lost a ton of weight several years ago. And I was doing Weight Watchers where I had to like track everything with the points and I was eating smoothies in the morning with protein powder and I was having a supplement and all these things but the other side of that was I also had two jobs so I wasn't socializing so I wasn't really going out to eat fast food so I had more time to cook and I didn't have a lot of friends around to convince me to go get ice cream or cookies or anything so at the expense of having fun I was losing weight but it wasn't at the end that fun because I was like I've now started looking at things with a point system and tracking and how much does this going to, is this going to ruin my day if I have this bread and now I can't eat this. And what I realized about that was it taught me the nutritional value of food, 
but it also kind of developed this bad habit where I started looking at food as really good and really bad and logging everything. And from your point of view, I've heard you're really against that idea. So can you talk about this whole aspect of um, logging and tracking when it does work for a lot of people, especially when they're not even aware of what they're putting in their body? So it does work. And that's why I don't shoot those things down. They are great for people that are dealing with health issues related to weight gain. So like people that are obese, for example, which was not your case, but someone that's obese, that's going to start a diet like Weight Watcher obviously is going to work because like you said, it's giving them some kind of an awareness about the value of food, the nutritional value of certain food, which they didn't care for. And it's going to work on their cholesterol level and their sugar levels, which is great. But at the end of the day, the problem comes in, and this is why I'm against it, when you stop doing it or when you have to walk away from it. Let's say your fiance or your husband or your boyfriend wants to take you to Italy. I've had clients literally lose their mind going, oh my freaking God, what am I going to eat? And by the time they landed, they already had gained two, two pounds. Why? The stress level. So at the end of the day, what are you doing? Is it really worth it to lose those 15, 20 pounds, knowing that you're going to hit a plateau? Because at some point, you're like really messing with your cortisol level. You're taking your body from not healthy at all to very, very healthy or too healthy. I don't even know if you could call that healthy. We're going to call it aware. You're going to bring it into this deficit. And ultimately, the minute Christmas dinner comes around, you know, Christmas Eve dinner or Thanksgiving dinner comes around, you're shocking it by kind of like either giving it everything it hasn't had because it's called a cheat meal, which I'm against. I don't like the whole comparison of eating healthy and then having a cheat meal, just the whole negative aspect of that. So already your cortisol level shooting up because all of a sudden your digestive system has to digest stuff. It hasn't that digested in like, let's say the three or four weeks program that you followed. But on top of it all, you will hit a plateau. And the idea, the reason why it's working for the French to do what I'm talking about is people keep their weight here from the age of like 16 to the age of 60. There are so many women I know that I haven't seen in 30 years, my mother's friends, for example, they haven't changed a bit when it comes to their body. They could still wear the same jeans. And that's that consistency that is so anti-American mentality. Like it, the, the, the mentality in America is to go on the diets, Weight Watcher and all that stuff and the keto diet and all that stuff. But you're constantly yo-yoing and ultimately you're really messing with your hormones. You don't want to be doing that because at some point, they're not going to be your ally. So when you're going to turn around 50 or 55 and you're going to go through premenopause and menopause, you will get no responsiveness to diet from your body anymore. Your mm -hmm. hormones will have crashed completely. And that's what you want to avoid. You want to do something constructive. You don't want to do something that's just going to be not permanent. And that's why I hate when people send me a message and say, I'm getting married in such and such day. And I just want to lose weight for my wedding. I don't care if I gain it back. And I'm like, girl, go call whoever, but I'm not the person for you. We want to preserve your body. You also have to think of your skin quality when you go through this weight loss. When you go on to Weight Watchers, when you go on through 
you know, all these diets, you want to think of your skin quality. They're making you take away, some of them make you take away pro, extra pro, like protein, animal, you know, uh, animal protein. Some of them make you take away lactose. Some of them make you take away, you know, some good oils and some good fats. And what's happening with your skin there? So that's why you have so many people that are able to lose a significant amount of weight. But when you look at them, they have loose skin and stretch marks and all of a the sudden their faces don't have any more collagen in them. So they, they look older because they've lost all this weight. And that's where the French mentality is total, totally anti that. That's like the ladies in the States that, go, that went on Adderall and all got skinny all of a sudden. But if you look at their eyes, they had this googly, crazy eyes and bad complexion looking so tired and losing their hair. But gosh, they were so skinny. So that's where my French mind comes into play and say, no, no, you want to be healthy, skinny, and sexy looking. You don't want to be sick, skinny, and not permanently skinny. You don't want to crash your hormones down. Right. And cracked out because that's what Adderall basically is. So trust me, I used to do it in college and I yeah. was how people are still doing it to this day and think that that's a sustainable thing. Because to your point, what are you going to do Adderall until you're 55 years old? That makes no sense. That doesn't even, you couldn't even operate that way. Your body would just shut down. Um, something that I want to talk through as well is the whole like juicing and smoothies and meal replacement smoothies and slim fast, because these are all like billion dollar industries, especially in America. Yeah. And it's funny because like I said, I was drinking a smoothie almost every morning, that whole period where I was on Weight Watchers to the point where now I feel like I can't even stand smoothies. Like I've developed an aversion to them where people are like, yeah. we're going to grab a smoothie. I'm like, I'm like triggered from having so many smoothies in the past. Like I, I don't want a smoothie. And I think that goes back to your point of satiation too, which I don't know if I'm saying that word right, but people thought I was making that word up. And I was like, no, I, I keep hearing about it, not only on your podcast, but so many other health and wellness podcasts and articles. So I want to talk through how those are all connected to like, you know, the slim fast, the smoothie, the celery juice with satiation. And what does that mean for your body and your hormones? First of all, I want to say that here, this, this, it's starting a little bit and it's more of a summer thing. And usually it's a treat for the kids, but like smoothies, juices are things that you have when you can't have alcohol here. They're not a meal replacement. They're not a snack. They're, it's a drink. It's literally a drink. That's why I always say it. The only juice I want is lime in my tequila. Um, it's, it's French. It's um, the smoothie, that, that whole smoothie generation, like I call them. And it, it's, again, that American mentality of everything being easier. It's easier to throw everything into a blender and to just literally like, you know, shove it down your body with a straw. And that is so against my mentality and the French mentality that's all about the experience of looking at food and looking at the shape of your fruits and vegetables and their color and smelling them. Because once that goes down as a smoothie, you totally amputate yourself of that experience. And that experience goes back to your leptin hormone, the leptin hormone, your satiation hormone that sends the neurological signals to your brain saying, you know, I'm happy, I'm satiated, I'm nourished, you amputate yourself of 60% of that satiation when you're actually having a smoothie, a juice, a protein shake. Um, and on top of it, you're nearly not supplementing anything. And I'll explain why. 
not only you're not supplementing anything, but replacing a whole meal with a glass makes no sense. If you think about it, when it comes to the pleasure of life, you know, the, 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 le plaisir, the, the savoir vivre, what you call in French, which is like knowing how to live. You're amputating yourself of all that. You're, you know, putting everything in a plastic mug. You're looking at puree colored shit, I want to say. I don't know if you're allowed to say that on your podcast. I haven't checked if you're explicit or not, but I couldn't find any other words. So either, either that or you'll beat me out. <laughs> um, but on top of that, uh, the reason why they became so popular is so people could sell you all kind of crap and to put in your smoothies, whether they're the protein powders that have all these, you know, gums in them and whatever, uh, and whey, which is another thing that messes with your cortisol level and your digestive system and vice versa. Um, it, it was so they could sell you that stuff. But at the end of the day, when you're taking fruits and vegetables and you're pulverizing them, you're taking out all of the nutrients out of them and you're taking out the fiber you're taking out the antioxidants now you know if you've read anything that i wrote or if you've listened to anything that i've said that fiber is key for men and women but especially for your hormones you absolutely absolutely need fiber um the norm for dietitians and nutritionists is 37 grams but a regular french person french woman would have close to 48 grams to 50 grams a day of fiber mm. and of real fiber in their food so um knowing that when you're pulverizing your fruits and your vegetables you're stripping all of that out and all you are left with is the fructose and the glucose and anything that ends in o's is not something you could rely on well, that's a good tip to nourish your body yeah so Knowing that, like anytime you're looking at something that has a lot of sugar in it, it will have glucose in it and something it owes. And fructose, same thing. This is nothing you've ever heard of on Jenny Craig or anything like that where they've, on Weight Watchers, where they've told you, you know what, have, you know, have some glucose. No one will ever tell you to have glucose or fructose because it's bad for you. Right. That's what's going to make you store fat. That is what's going to create insulin resistance. So when you're having these smoothies, you're losing weight because you're putting your body in deficit of protein, in deficit of fiber, in deficit of a lot of things, and you're literally on a liquid diet. So, you know, your digestive is like just processing that, but you're leaving nothing behind for your body to be hormonally balanced. And so that's why the minute you'll have solid food, you'll either hit a plateau in your weight loss or worse, you'll gain all the weight back. And when you do, it will be cellulite and water retention. Mm. Because at that point, you've messed with your hormones so, so much. So what is the point of juicing if there's no nutritional value to what you have in your cup? You know, you've pretty much taken everything away and left the stuff we absolutely don't want. Right. And once, once more, the best way to fight carbs inside your body is to have fiber. Fiber, technically, but I'm very careful when I say that because, again, the American mentality takes this to a whole other level, and I'll tell you why. But fiber helps you, as a sponge, clean up a little bit of the carbs that you take into your body. So if you strip the fiber out of that, and then you added some type of whey or protein powder, it's like it's going to work and building into fat storage into your body. 
So I'm all against it. But the main reason why I'm against it, if you put all of that scientific part aside, is you're amputating yourself out of the real experience that we were put onto this earth for, which is enjoying looking at your food, smelling it, the chewing experience, which works on your leptin hormone. So technically your cortisol levels go so high because your leptin hormone is amputated out of all of the sensors it really needs, chewing, smelling, looking at good food fruits, vegetables. Right. I hope that makes sense. Oh, it makes so much sense. I remember I made a smoothie once and I put too much of one thing versus the other and it came out like kind of brown and thick that I couldn't even put it in a cup. So I put it in like a bowl and brought it to work and people were like, hey, you know, you literally don't have to eat like bird shit to look good. And I remember thinking like, why am I eating this? It's gross. It looks gross. It might taste somewhat good because I put vanilla protein powder in it. But like, the act of sitting here and eating this like literally brown shit out of a bowl just to lose weight was like, what, for what? And what? your whole uh, idea on the enjoyment of food really resonated with me. And I even thought, you know what, let me do my own experiment in a day and see how I look at food. And it's really eye-opening if, if anyone ever does this that hasn't done it. It was like, oh, can't do that. I can't be bad today. Nope okay, whatever, I'll have this cookie, I'm going to cheat. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm so bad. Yeah. I'm going to be fat. And like, this is like a daily thought. These aren't like once in a while. And it's I'm- an emotional roller coaster yeah. that you put yourself through and you're messing with your hormones doing that, actually. And then I started paying attention yeah. to people around me doing that. And I was like, wow, all we do all day is like complain about our food and what we hate and we're guilty and we're bad. And I'm really, really trying to change that. And I want you to talk about a little bit about that experiment where cake was shown to two different people and how they reacted. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, actually, that's an introduction of my, the book that I'm writing right now. Um, I'm writing a book about wellness and there will be some recipes in it and it will be out hopefully in 2019 if I finally hurry up. Uh, I know my literary agent will be happy to hear me say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I put that survey in the introduction of my book. It's the, um, this, this brilliant guy, I can't remember his name now, shame on me, I wrote about him, but um, who uh, conducted a survey on American people and equally conducted the same survey on French people. He simply showed them a piece of chocolate cake, a beautiful piece of chocolate cake on a plate. And unanimously, the Americans answered guilt when he asked them, what does that represent for you? And the French unanimously answered celebration or birthday. Is that insane how the mindset is completely different? And what's crazy is Americans are the ones who have the tendency to have, you know, the most obesity, like the highest obesity rate as a nation. And France is not. So it's insane because I think it's all related to the mindset much more. It's, it's more about the way people look at food rather than the food they put in their body. And I think they've been counterproductive and, and that's what it is. People are being counterproductive. The American mentality on diet, just diet itself is about deducting. Whereas the French mentality is about adding adding to your diet what nutrients can i add like you go to the restaurant here and 
when you're going to go say, you know, what, what veggies do you have? Why don't you put on the menu what veggies you have? And they go, we can't put what, what we have on the menu as veggies because you get seasonal beach veggies. So you'll get whatever is fresh right now. So if it's the stream bean season, the chef will say, okay, today you guys are getting stream beans and zucchini and, you know, and it's all about adding. You'll sit at a restaurant and go, okay, so can I have this veggie and this veggie and that veggie? And you'll never have a waiter that will say, no, you can't. You know, we, we, we can't do that. There is always vegetables in the kitchen. It's mostly about adding. What can I add to my nutrition to make my health better, to make my hair grow? Americans are constantly sending me messages saying like, what product do you use for your hair to be this long? And I'm like, I'm not using products. That's the whole point. I don't pound product on my hair. So it's this healthy. But what I do is I eat certain foods that are so nutritional that my hair, my nails grow, my skin's glowing. It all has to do with adding. Whereas the, you know, the American mentality is all about deducting, constantly deducting. And look, the proof is in the pudding. You can, you know, in the cake actually. Yeah, exactly. And, and I imagine then that with all this mindset that you're talking about, you do have a baguette, you are eating cake. Like what is your take on all these different quote unquote bad foods that Americans have put in this box? Are you, especially like I said, I think Americans think that the French just eat like bread and butter and coffee all day and are totally fine and have different genetics. And I don't think that's the case. I think you guys are just looking. No, it's not the case. We look at it differently. So when you look at it differently, you don't binge. And I, it's, yesterday I made a post about Thanksgiving and that, that's when I, it really all comes together for me when I try to um, explain to my American audience, which is, you know, the main audience that I have, I explain to them like what's happening here. Like when you go for Thanksgiving dinner, we have Thanksgiving in Monaco, you know, Prince Albert's American. So we do Thanksgiving. Um, but when you go to a Thanksgiving dinner party here, people are all about the socializing. It will not start with food right away. Whereas when you walk into Thanksgiving dinner, the minute you walk through the door, your grandmother is already shoving something down your throat. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole difference. In France, there's a whole, you know, preliminary with drinks and absolutely no food, maybe a few olives on the table where everybody gets greeted, everybody says hello. And until you sit at the table or until the buffet opens up, no one touches a thing. And that is, you know, that's the difference. That's the emotional attachment to food in the States as opposed to the emotional attachment to the ceremony, the social ceremony in France. And so when people think like, oh, but you can eat baguette. Actually, I had baguette, I had bread twice last week without even thinking about it. And that's the bottom line. When you don't think about it, because if you think that having baguette one day is going to make you gain a kilo the next day, you are so wrong. You know what does it? What does it is how you felt about it and you were so emotionally attached to the process and the guilt that your cortisol level rose so high that you created insulin resistance. So when that bread went down with the glucose inside the bread, well, instead of going into your reserves to be burnt as fuel, there was insulin resistance, so it kind of stayed up there in the surface and made you gain that weight. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the difference between the French person. It's not that they're going to have, you know, baguette at every single meal and every day. It's just that when they do, 
it's no big deal. They won't even talk about it. It's not even going to be a subject like, oh my God, yesterday I went all out and I forget. It's not even a conversation. Mm -hmm. They're not going to sit there the next day and say, oh, I'm having a salad today because yesterday I had baguette. You will never hear someone have this conversation oh. ever. Whereas oh. in the States, that's the whole conversation. And I figured it out. It's the cortisol level. It's the stress and the guilt you put onto yourself doing that that will create that weight gain for sure. So it's kind of like, and it's everything in moderation as a, as a matter of fact, because you're so not emotionally attached to it. And you love the experience of having your bread once in a while or your pasta once in a while or once a week or twice a week. And it's not a cheat meal. It's just, it's casually happening. You and your husband or your boyfriend decided to go to dinner and you know what? You're like, yeah, I feel like having pasta today. And so you, no one's going to question it and say, oh my God, really? You're going to do that? How can you? Not at all. And it's so not processed that way that at the end of the day, you're very happy having pasta once a week. And it's not even like there's never a binging, emotional binging issue where like you had pasta the whole week. Not at all. Same with, you know, birthday cake. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, no, there's no qualms about it. And I think that's why it's not a big deal. And that's why we don't overconsume it. Right. You know, everything is like it. You also would not go into a donut shop. We don't have donut shops here, but you wouldn't go into like a pastry shop and just have yourself a pastry just by yourself as you're walking down the street. Like in the States, people literally walk into Dunkin' Donuts, buy a donut, walk out and eat it. Yeah. Here, you actually have to be with someone and decide to go for tea. And then you go, you know what? I'll have an eclair. Mm. So it, it's like, it's more about the ceremony of partaking into, you know, a gathering, whatever it is with another person, with being with your child or being with a friend. Uh, if you're alone, you're not going to go for that stuff. Right. So you see how like it's the separation, the mindset is in the States, it's emotional with food. In France, it's emotional with, you know, the social aspect of it, right. the relationship with other people and other human beings. Right. And the fact that you get to choose it is important. Like you said, the fact yeah. that you have a grocery store with tons of products, we have farmer's markets, but we're choosing to go for the juice in a plastic mug. Like that's actually really crazy when you think about it, when there's countries that have there's not even countries, there's people that might be down the street that don't have access to that, that are like wishing they could have any type of ingredient to make a full meal. And people are just throwing things in blenders or juicing a, a piece of celery just to lose weight which it's exactly and you know how i feel about celery juice i had i had like the celery patrol fall very hard on me going oh my god celery saved my life and how dare you say that and i'm like of course celery saved your life because before the day the trend with celery juice came out you didn't even know you could eat celery with like a piece of chicken cooked right. so the first time your body experienced 0.2 percent of the benefits of celery in, in celery juice even though you threw out all the fiber and all of the antioxidants by juicing it your body was like whoa what's that good stuff so your body ran on 0.2 2% of celery goodness and was like, that's amazing. My gut's feeling better. So imagine if you actually do good for your gut, 99%. Right. Let's say I take 1% away because we crop the veggies and whatever, even if they're organic, they might be treated. But imagine if you actually take celery, cook it and eat it. Imagine what happens then, you know? You see way more results. Well, I want to end exactly. on two things, which is the first is how can we lower our cortisol? Because 
unfortunately, I don't have a two hour lunch break. And if I did that, I think I would get fired. Yeah. And I, that's pretty yeah. standard for Americans. But I've also made it a point now to actually take my full hour. Today, I was just coming back actually to record the podcast. But even if I have a busy day, I'm like, I'm going to take my hour lunch break just because I'm allowed and I'm entitled to take that. And I get a break out of the day. What am I going to run on? Go, go, go the whole entire day. So I've made it a point to do that. But what are other things that people can do to lower those stress levels? Okay. First, sunlight. I know that sun gets a really bad rep, but it is a great instrument to keeping your cortisol level low. The body needs some sunlight. So for example, in the morning, when I make my Newling coffee, I will usually open the window in the kitchen and I'll stand by the window and get sun or daylight in my face as I drink my coffee. Very important. I would also say to look for settings that you like. Like for example, I like the sight of the water. So, you know, I used to live in New York and I was very stressed by city life. And at some point I told my ex-husband, look, you know, New York has a beautiful shoreline. I want to live by the shore. And we did. We went to live, you know, near the Rockaways. Um, so I'm not saying you need to move, but if you're at lunch and you're in a place like New York City, what I would do is I would look for a place where tourists go. Like where makes me feel like a tourist? So for some people, it's Fifth Avenue, but not for me because that was stressful and it was very you know, linked to the fashion industry, but Central Park by the duck pond for me was a big one. Mm -hmm. So I would take my lunch in a glass uh, Pyrex box, not in plastic. Mm -hmm. So I could emphasize my experience and, you know, feel great instead of eating out of plastic Tupperware. And I would go sit by the duck pond and I would literally watch people and tourists around there and I could have been one of them so finding a setting that makes you feel like you're escaping for a minute whatever that is whatever you know toots your horn another thing is looking to denoise if there are places that are noisy like for example there's a restaurant where you often go with your friends and you realize you tend to always want to eat carb rich food like french fries and hamburgers and you realize it's like for example um a brunch place and it's very noisy chances are the reason why you want carb rich foods when you're there and you're famished is because your cortisol level rises because of the noise so mm -hmm. if you can diminish the amount of noise around you in certain situations like here, there's a supermarket that plays music very loud. And I realized that I impulsively bought things that I didn't really want to buy and put in my pantry. So I stopped going there. I realized the music was affecting me. And I think they do it on purpose. Probably. That so, so denoising is a great way of lowering your cortisol level. And another thing I will say not to do, don't go test your cortisol levels. That will rise your cortisol levels. Putting a number on things and just to test cortisol levels you literally have to go three times three different times in the day that is so stressful there's a needle there's a needle involved that's so stressful so you will never really get an answer to how high your cortisol or how low your cortisol level is it's not really um you, you can't really reliable so unless you're someone suffering from you know an adrenal burnout don't go and test your cortisol. Just think of, it's very easy to, you don't need to know what your cortisol level is to lower it. They are, you know, outside stuff you can do without. Like someone that's annoying, 
just tell your friends, you know what? I had a long week. I want to, I, I don't want to go out with her. I would, she chirps in my ear. She makes me nervous. You know, keep her for a Tuesday. Today is Saturday. I just, I don't want to deal with her. So you have to find a way to denoise your life a little bit. And the last one is information. Mm. There's a lot of, you know, that you and I met on Instagram and I love what you put out there and you like what I put out there. But mm. if you have too many conflicting information from influencers, products thrown at you for your health, you put your intuition on a shelf and you let these people tell you what you need and you pound on your body with all these different supplements and different ways and the juices and the protein powders and this and that. And that will rise your cortisol level. So simplify. Simplify, denoise, and rely on your intuition more than you rely on me or anybody else. That makes sense. That's what I think people would like to do is intuitively eat of, this is what I'm feeling, I'm going to eat it versus this is what I'm feeling, but I'm going to go have a smoothie. Because that's when, like you exactly. said, it starts to happen and your body's like, well, that's not what I really wanted. And now I'm stressed and now I'm mad. And, and then it goes haywire. So that makes exactly. a ton of sense. And then the last thing I want to talk about is inulin, because I feel like that is like, you are the poster girl for inulin. And I had never heard of it until you started talking about it. And now I've seen all the posts and what people say about it and why it's good for you. Can you tell us what it is and what are the effects of using it? Yes. So first I will say that um, I hate supplements, which I, I know it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, but I'll explain. I don't like supplements because people rely on them and prefer to rely on manufactured supplements rather than get what they need for their body from real food. So for me, inulin was a counterintuitive process. It was the opposite. I tried to get as much fiber as I could from my real food, but I realized that I wasn't getting it for a few reasons. First of all, we say that we need about 35 grams of fiber, but we want to cut out bread because the bread with you know all the gluten intolerance and the fact that it makes you a bit tired and it makes you a little bit foggy, so we cut that out. And we cut out some cereals because most cereals that have fiber in them also have a lot of sugar. So by cutting out all those things, all you're left with is vegetables. And even though in France, they're mostly organic vegetables, the process that we're going through and you know the way that the environment is today is not what it was back then. So for example, if I told you that a plate of string beans is, I'm going to say something from the top of my head, I don't even know if that's what it is, has like 20, 12 grams of fiber. Today, I'm not sure that string beans have 12 grams of fiber. So I realized myself going between my 30s and my 40s, now I'm 41, that there was a hormonal imbalance that my cortisol was playing, you know, um, was playing a few tricks on me. Because you have to know that I'm like my, I'm really my, my own guinea pig when it comes to all this stuff. And I realized I needed an intake of fiber. So I used to eat GG crackers, which are those Scandinavian oat crackers. Some of them are oat, some of them are not, um, with a lot of fiber in them. But the problem with these types of crackers is that they demand protein on top of them because they're not good alone. So I was getting my, you know, dietary intake of fiber that I needed for the day with those plus the vegetables plus the fiber and legumes and stuff like that 
but I was going into excess protein, which made me feel bloated and a little bit like swollen. And it was the same for some of my clients that I had recommended it to. So I went and researched and researched. And I came across inulin, which is um, artichoke root. Ours, the one that that we sell, is manufactured in the UK and it's Jerusalem artichoke root. So there are other ones. You'll hear about the Acacia one and you'll hear about the chicory root, which is very similar to the artichoke root. And it's milled into a powder that is white, looks like cocaine, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, it is um, indigestible. It is fiber and we need that fiber in our bodies. So I figured... I needed the supplement and that's the only supplement I want. I want nothing else. Unfortunately, every other powder I found on the market had some type of a gum with it or protein or whey. And I don't want no guar gum or plantain gum or whey. I don't want any of that. I wanted something that did not affect, you know, my anything else in my nutrition. I just wanted the fiber and inulin came out of everything I've tested with flying colors. It was used over a hundred years ago in Eastern European countries to satiate families when they had loaves of bread. Wow. So they actually, and, it, and you know, Eastern European countries like Austria, Poland, none of those countries are known for being fat on the contrary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was one of those luxury that some of the families were able to afford and, um, either supplement or completely um, take out the flour and put inulin instead. So it has a satiation effect because it's fiber and it swells up like a gelatin in your stomach without making you feel bloated. But most importantly, it is also a prebiotic. And what it does is it attends to your enzymes, the same enzymes that create bloat when your digestion is difficult. This attends to your good gut bacteria and your enzymes, and it kind of soothes everything out and cleans the shit out of your digestive system and your gut. And so you've probably read a lot of the stuff that I've posted, some people sending me some incredible messages, because at first I just thought it did that for me, and it does for my husband, and then my daughter, 17 years old, decided to take it. We all felt flatter. I used to because, you know, I exercise. So of course I have abs, but somewhere midday, like around two, 3 PM, I always had a little gut. And I always wondered like, how can someone like me that works out literally all day has a gut? Mm -hmm. And it was my digestive system. It was my gut. Everything starts in the gut. The hormones start in the gut. So inulin actually levels out all the hormones that we spoke about today. Uh, people that have also thyroid imbalance told me that it was better for them. It levels everything out because your digestive system is not stressed. It actually gets cleaned out. So that's the beauty of fiber and the beauty of inulin. And it has so many benefits. Um, and for me, it's done it. But what I will say is the reason why our packaging tells you to only get five grams a day which gives you about 27.5 grams of fiber daily is because I want to push people to eat real food to get the rest of their fiber. And I don't want people to um, subtract food in favor of supplementing. It's very important. So that's why I thought inulin is great. 
but guess what? You can put it in your food, put it in your omelet, add some peppers, add some spinach, add some fiber, add more fiber. Mm -hmm. Add more fiber. That's, that seems to be like the secret here is eat real food, have some yeah. fiber needed, and then don't beat yourself up. Exactly. That's it. And then the beauty of it is because you know how they say, follow your gut. Mm -hmm. You know that expression, right? The expression actually is so acute when it comes to inulin. Um, it clears up your gut so nicely that your leptin hormone comes into play and you feel a sense of satiation. And it puts your ghrelin hormone to sleep in the sense that you don't want carb-rich food. When you consume inulin and you make my famous inulin coffee because caffeine is not a big bad guy like like everybody thinks it's actually great it's a metabolic boost booster so in combination with inulin what happens is when you end up eating you only want real food you i i crave like grilled fish and spinach and artichoke i crave vegetables that i never craved before mm -hmm. that's when you know your gut is healthy is when your leptin hormone is sending the right signals and that's what inulin does so it's all correlated oh i need it in my life where can we get inulin so you can get it on my website at themethodmc.com mc stands for monte carlo so it's themethodmc.com and it's in the shop there well if there was one thing that you could leave listeners with whether that's an idea a quote an ingredient a piece of advice whatever it is, what would you leave them with? I would say, follow your intuition more. Go get it back from the shelf you left it on and follow your intuition while you denoise all the information and myths around you. And if you can become an anti-dieter, you might be the skinniest you've ever been. <laughs> I love that. And if you guys think that this is a joke, because I was like, she can't be possibly having this amazing of a body and eating whatever she wants and not doing you know orange theory and berries boot camp like there's just no way go look at her instagram the proof is in the pudding i've never seen you you know up at 6 a.m hitting crossfit and then eating no and then uh you know starving yourself until dinner so the proof is in the pudding um i want everyone to go to your instagram and actually see in the real flesh what this French lifestyle can do for you. So where can people find you on Instagram? So you can find me on Instagram at Ingrid Delamar Kenny. So I'm sure you'll have my full name uh, on your show notes because it's quite long. So it's the whole name attached, Ingrid Delamar Kenny. On and Insta. If we want to do the method workout, can we do it if we don't live in Monaco? Absolutely. We have an amazing virtual platform. The workouts are great and they're great for your cortisol levels because they still, the density is still incredibly hard, but they are so good to your hormones and cortisol level. And you could do that on a virtual platform, which is on the website as well. And the virtual platform and these videos, I'm in the videos. So you work out with me. And we have a way of interacting with all of the virtual platform members where you can take videos of your performance while you do it, send it to us, and we send you my corrections. Like, how can you correct your posture? How can you do this better? How can you improve? So we kind of interact with everybody, even though it's all virtual. It's amazing. I need to take these classes because 
Like I yes. said, I fast pass and it was not working. So I'm assuming my cortisol was high and my mindset was not in the French aura that it needs to be. So I'm so excited that you came on. I, I feel like we need to do part two, three, and four because this is so much information. But you guys can also listen to Ingrid's podcast, which is Pardon my French. We can find that wherever, right? iTunes. Yeah, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. All the podcast plus podcast platforms we are on. It's pardon my French with an exclamation point at the end. Love it. Everyone go listen and thank you so much, Ingrid, for being on. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. Wow. How informational was all of that? I honestly had 25 or more questions left to ask because she's such a vessel of knowledge and we ran out of time, but luckily she's been featured on various other episodes of other people's podcasts and she has her own called Pardon My French. I learned so much each episode, so any question we didn't get to today, she's probably answered on hers or on another podcast. She's really good at answering listener questions, so go follow her and DM her at Ingrid Delamar Kenny, which I'll link in the show notes. I personally cannot wait to buy Anulin, as my stomach really is my problem area, so I am thinking that it's my hormones. Don't forget to follow me at Chelsea Rife, R-I-F-F-E, or the podcast's new page at ohmypod underscore on Instagram and Twitter, and feel free to DM me with feedback, questions, comments, who you want to be on the next episode, who you want to be. More like, who do you want in the next episode and what you want to hear more about? I have some exciting guests in the works, so stay tuned for those. And as always, leave a five-star review and rating. That is all I want for Christmas, so please help my miracles come true. All right, guys, talk to you next week. <laughs>